This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Hello, and welcome to another World of UX podcast. This is your host, Darren Hood. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on today. And a special welcome, as always, to those of you who are partaking of the podcast for the very first time. We're continuing the series that we're that we've been looking at for the last few weeks. That topic is UX in the age of misinformation, and we'll get into the topic, uh, the segment of the topic today's segment, I should say, of the topic in, in a little bit. But I wanted to just give a little bit of a reminder that uh, we're coming up on a milestone. This is episode number fifty-one that you're listening to today, which means that next week will be our one year anniversary of producing the podcast. It has been an absolute joy to present this resource to you. Uh, It has been an absolute honor to have been selected to present this content. I've, I've had a ball with the just a few guests that we've had, and we've got plans for a lot more in the not too distant future. And we're happy to provide a resource that we know that will provide a, uh, a leg up, if you will, for those who are practitioners, those who are new, those who are seasoned. Uh, we hope and we, we strive to present things that will affect people across the entire spectrum of the world of user experience, no matter where you are in your UX journey. So we're really happy. Just wanted to mention that again. We'll probably do a couple of little celebratory things next week. Um, and, and just, I'm just excited about it. I, I hope you're excited with me. Um, I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a while. Didn't really know how to do it. All of those things got fixed because somebody who wanted me to do the podcast came along and they, ca- they take care of the vast majority of the production while I just produce the content and the show and they take care of all of the, the other things. So really happy. Uh, a lot of times we can't get anywhere without anybody else. Uh, a lot of times, many of us like to think that we can do things on our own, but the truth is we we need one another. We're dependent on one another. We are codependent, and I'm happy to be in that position. I appreciate everybody who plays a hand in in this show's production and in this show being, being broadcast basically all over the world. Uh, I'm thankful half of my listenership is actually in Europe. That that excites me. That's interesting. Nobody expected that. So uh, shout out to everybody over the pond, uh, everybody over in in the UK, everybody over in South Africa, all the listeners over in India. And we're pulling for folks in India. We've heard all the things that are going on with regard to COVID. So we're hoping that, that more people pull through. They're really going through some extremely trying times over there right now. So for all my brothers and sisters over there in India, where we you know our, our hearts going out to you over here. So let us go ahead and get into the content today. We've been having some extended episodes today. I'm not quite sure if we're going to be a little extended tonight, but let's go ahead and dive right in because we're going to approach this tonight, this segment, this subtopic, if you will, in association with UX and the age of misinformation. Um, what we're going to talk about tonight is something that some people probably saw this coming. It's something that I hear about on a weekly basis. It's something that we all experience, uh, this aspect of misinformation. And it's 
this is an area that while we might have expected me to cover this, when you really sit around and talk, we don't expect the source that I'm going to shine the light on tonight to be a, a hotbed for misinformation, but it is. The job search world, employment, hiring companies, you would never think that this is one of the major sources of misinformation, but I'm here to tell you tonight that organizations and the way that they handle their candidates, the job postings that are out there, the way they do their hiring, the way they screen people, the way they're interviewing people, all of these things are actually, they make up one of the biggest contributors in this age of misinformation to this problem. I talked a few weeks ago about what I felt could be done to help counter what's going on in the world of UX today and and really flip the switch and send us in the right direction as I'm here to share it from a different angle. And I'm going to go over several of these things bit by bit, but I don't want to get ahead of myself again. It's really easy to, but let's take a couple steps back before we get into some of the, the granular components of, of tonight's subtopic. Let's think for a minute. What really is misinformation? We use the word, we talk about it. It comes up in a lot of arenas, but when we say misinformation, a lot of times if five people say it, you might be getting three different angles and the angle that's being presented may or may not be accurate. So let's make sure before we get into this critical subtopic tonight, let's level set here first. I thought that this might be useful and important. Three definitions of misinformation I want to put out there so that you know when I'm talking about misinformation, what I'm speaking to, what I'm addressing. Definition number one, misinformation is incorrect or misleading information. Simple, right? Straight to the point. This is where a lot of people are. When they hear you talk about misinformation and when you use that term, this is what they're thinking. There's some information out here that just isn't correct. And, and it misleads people. That, that's the, the, the fallout of misinformation. That is the collateral damage of misinformation that people will be misled. People are going to believe something that's not true, and then to make matters worse, they're going to act upon that inaccurate information. So so that's definition number one. Definition number two, and this one really caught my my eye, false intel. It's where, and, and when we use intel, which is short for intelligence, we're making reference to someone who is, in a sense, checking things out. Somebody is surveying. They're trying to observe something or talk to people and get information, or they may just have a, a passing engagement, such as a discussion on LinkedIn, uh, a discussion on Reddit, uh, some, some feedback that's posted on, on Medium to a Medium post, or maybe someone going back and forth on Twitter. And people are trying to get information from someone, but if the information that you get is not accurate, you are obtaining false intel. What's critical about that is that you usually hear false intel. That that terminology is it, it's most frequently used when it comes to like uh, some type of a, a, a military 
type of an operation that somebody is trying to go and check something out so that they can bring the information back and then base all their decisions and future future activities on that information. So the information that was gathered was supposed to foster success. When you get false intel, success does not result, even if it looks like a person is experiencing success. It really is not. So that's the big problem with false intel. Someone puts confidence in inaccurate information and then bad things come out of that. And, and some people find out sooner that they got false intel. They may not use that terminology, but that's what it is. Some people will find out later. The people who find out sooner can write the ship. The people who find out later uh, is going to take a, a lot of effort for them to write the ship because they've already erected a lot of other things in the process. And so now you've got a, a big problem on your hands and you got a lot of spilled milk to clean up. But both of those scenarios are not good, are they? Definition number three, and, and this one really struck a, a nerve with me. And I just went to dictionary.com and got this. False information, we know that, false information that is spread regardless of whether there is intent to mislead or not. This is where I would venture to say either a great deal of misinformation is happening in this matter or there's just a lot of it that just seems to to resonate. The A lot of things that we see where the number could be small, but just the impact is so great. And the way that these things are being shared is is so great that it seems like it, it, it's happening in, in greater mass than any other instances. But the key is that you don't have to have the intention of misleading someone to spread misinformation. So now we have removed intention and we're talking about what has happened or what is happening as opposed to what someone intended on doing. Very few people set out to mislead folks, but that doesn't change the fact that people get misled in the process. So we want to make sure that we do away with intent. When people share something with you, I, I saw uh, a conversation the last few days, in the last few days, where someone came to, this happened on Reddit again, someone said, hey, does anybody out there, what is your favorite degree program for learning more about UX? And I'm thinking, do you realize who you're asking? You're asking people, some of which might have some some input or opinions about programs, but it's highly likely that none, none of them have studied different programs from an academic perspective. They don't really know how to evaluate the different schools. So you basically put a question out there that is stirring up bias and the chances of you getting biased responses is going to be off the charts, which means that you're going to get a lot of misinformation. People are, whether they know it or not, are requesting misinformation. You cannot ask people for opinions about schools. Just go and, and do the research and check the schools out and pick the one that best matches what your needs are and what your budget is. But you don't ask people what they think like that and expect to, you can't do that and expect to get a dependable and a trustworthy response. Uh, but because people, as we said before, people don't have a filter. People are doing things the wrong way. And, and one of the biggest problems, and I've said this before 
on the podcast that feeds into misinformation. They're a good compatible pair is that, so to speak, is that some people, they're in such a hurry to get the degree or they're in such a hurry to get the certification. They're in such a hurry to go from A to B that they don't realize that speed is not a part of the equation to do this thing right. So people set themselves up for misinformation and there's always somebody out there who's willing to give it especially if you're talking to the fake it till you make it crowd, because when you ask them for information, they're going to fake it till they make it. They don't care if what they give you, the information they provide to you is going to cause you harm. They're busy focused on themselves and trying to fake it, hoping that they make it, not realizing that when you quote unquote make it, you're still a faker. So not not good. So this is what misinformation is. It's important for us to level set and understand these things. Now, all these things said, I mentioned that companies, hiring companies are one of the biggest contributors when it comes to misinformation because you wouldn't think, I mean, you probably think about it now. You, Some of you are probably coming up with examples where you remember this happening to you. You look at a job posting. Some people are judging UX from a career perspective. They're judging whether or not, or I'm going to use the word evaluating because some people hear the word judge and they freak out. You shouldn't because they're actually synonyms. When you evaluate yourself as you look at a job posting, if that job posting is not written correctly, which the vast majority of them are not, and if you don't believe me, just go spend an hour and go look at a bunch of them and watch and see what you find out. If you have the filter, you might have to bounce it off to somebody else. But I've been around for a long time. I've been posting for these jobs for a long time. I've been posting for jobs, period, for a long time. And I do have an HR background as well. I know how job postings should be written. And when I am, I've been a hiring manager before also. So when you are trying to hire and you want someone to have a particular set of skills, then you want to make sure you're communicating it in a way that's going to help to promote or foster the people who are qualified to apply for that position. If the job posting is not written in excellence, if it's written in a haphazard fashion, which many of them are, and by the way, a lot of people don't know what to do. They Remember, a lot of companies don't know what UX is, but they've got to fill the roles. So you know what they do? They'll go out to LinkedIn or Glassdoor or Indeed or wherever, and they'll look at job postings for UX, copy what they see. They don't know that the information in a lot of these jobs postings are are incorrect. They don't know that they're misleading. They don't know that they're fostering the spread of misinformation. So they copy it and they use it with their job. And I've seen a lot of instances where someone will post something and you think you're perfect for it. I think I'm perfect for it. Somebody else thinks they're perfect for it. You apply for the position only to get an email back from somebody saying that, oh, we've reviewed your 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 application and we've decided to to uh, not uh, interview you or proceed with you any further on this role. We're, we're going with other people that better match the qualifications. But you already evaluated everything, and based on what they posted, you were a perfect match. And then people see these things, they experience this stressful experience, and then they, they go back and they think that there's something wrong with them. 
you looked at it and you thought there was something wrong with you. And so now you think that you need to fix something when, in fact, the thing that was broken was the company's hiring process, the company's promotion of the open job process. The job description was written incorrectly. It misrepresented. And some examples, I've seen some ridiculous things. When you see UX, UI, they don't know what they're looking for. <laughs> and a lot of times they want somebody that's going to do everything. They want a unicorn, which doesn't make any sense. That is, in many cases, a sign that that company has little to no UX maturity and so do you really want to go there anyway? If you go there and you're trying to look at cognitive load, you're trying to make sure that the information architecture is structured properly, all of these different things, and they want you to make things pretty, do you really want to go there? So these are some of the things that happen. I saw a post recently, and, and I'm always, I have a lot of mentees, so I like to see what's going on out here anyway, and I'm always keeping my finger on the pulse of the UX world to see what the trends are and things like that. I saw a job posting recently where they actually said that they wanted the UX designer to be skilled in Ruby on Rails. Now, if you don't know what Ruby on Rails is, I just encourage you to go out and, and perform a search on it and, and, and look it up. I'm going to give a shout out to DuckDuckGo today. I love DuckDuckGo. Go and check out DuckDuckGo instead of some of these other things. And go and perform a search on Ruby on Rails. And when you look at it, you will find out it has absolutely nothing to do with UX design. Absolutely nothing. If anything, it's just a language and it's it's something that a developer will get into. But you don't need, you don't need Ruby on Rails. I couldn't believe that, that I saw that. And then you want to put a red flag on that employer, at least right now, because that lets you know that they don't know. If they get a real UX person, they won't know what to do with you. They won't know how to interact with you. They won't know anything. And now you're going in there happy because you got a job. But when you get in there, you're going to be sorry that you got the job because they don't really understand what's going on. Really, really scary stuff. I saw another job posting recently where someone said that you must have skill, you must have experience working with Sketch and Envision. And they put must in big letters. Folks, all that is is a design tool and there's about 50 of them just like that. And if you know one, all you have to do is translate and you can move from one to the other. But if somebody is overly rigid about which tool you use, imagine what it'll be like to work there. <laughs> yes, if you gathered by my laugh, uh, that is not a place to be. If you go and look at job postings and sometimes Glassdoor and LinkedIn will do this sometimes too, they'll give you a salary range. Do you realize that starting, I've said this before, starting salary for an entry level UX practitioner just a few years ago in the Midwest was in the mid 70s, roughly 73 to $78,000 a year. And one of the reasons for that, it was because they were looking for real UX practitioners. They were looking for people who got into the usability, who got into the information architecture, who could possibly do research, who got into interaction and interface design, who looked at several different aspects, methods, methodologies, techniques, all different types of deliverables. And so this is a highly skilled position that we're bringing somebody into and we want somebody with some skill who are, who are who if they're entry level who at least understands the foundational elements that we can bring in 
and then have them grow from there. We're not looking for somebody who's just making things look pretty. And you can tell that there's an issue when there's a job posting and the salary range is posted and it says something like, and this is becoming common, the salary the salary range said something like 43 to 73,000. Uh, that's not UX. Something is terribly, terribly, terribly wrong. So when people see all of these different things, I mean, job, job postings are completely out of whack. If you're if you're in somewhat of a, it's almost like black comedy that like stuff that's funny but it shouldn't be funny. That that's a genre of movies that they call black comedy. It's like Fargo is is black comedy for those of you movie buffs out there. Something like that. It's these job postings are black comedy. It, it's it's like that it shouldn't be funny, but it's so ridiculous for those who know that it really all you can do is look at it and laugh. But basically, companies don't know what they want. And and if you allow companies that don't understand UX and that don't know what they want to dictate to you what you are or what you should be, uh, now you see what I'm getting at, the impact that comes out of that misinformation that is implied through these job postings, through the terrible interview processes. Do you realize, we're going to cover this in a lot of detail in the not too distant future. But do you realize that portfolios, and matter of fact, I think I've said this before, portfolios don't even belong in the in the process of evaluating UX talent. Portfolios found their way into evaluating UX professionals because people evaluated us the same way they do with UI people. So if you have a, a UX portfolio and it's truly structured to illustrate your your knowledge, your skill, your acumen as a UX professional, it basically will be, we could call it ugly because we don't work on the presentation layer. Unless you're trying to show the final product, the things in your portfolio will not be that aesthetically pleasing because it's gonna be journey maps, it's gonna be wireframes, it's gonna be prototypes, it's gonna be scripts for that you use to conduct research, it's going to be the data from the research, it's gonna be a lot of things like that. That's the kind of stuff you'll find in a true UX portfolio, and then it's just supposed to tell the story about how you approach the design process and how you proceed from point A to point B and, and, and on and so on and so on and so on. So it's not beautiful, but people are looking at portfolios and you know who has the best looking portfolios, right? It's the people who think that we're about the presentation layer, the people who think that it's about things looking beautiful. So everything in their portfolio looks beautiful and guess who's getting the jobs most of the time? The people with the better looking portfolios because they're actually piggybacking on the, the emotional design impact from the wonderful aesthetics and then people are misjudging and then we've got a problem. Well, the people who didn't get the job, well, the, the company's got a problem too because now they got somebody who's good at aesthetics but they don't understand anything about what real UX really is. So portfolios are a problem. Design exercises are a problem. You know one of the reasons why design exercises are a problem? Because they're unrealistic. People expect you to whiteboard something or put together something in a half hour. Some companies will tell you, take this home, here's the problem, work on this, bring it back and walk us through it. At least that's a little bit more realistic. So we'll give those people a few props. But when you're expected to 
have a scenario presented to you and then come up with something in a half hour, when is that ever going to happen? It's not. So for that reason, that it's completely unrealistic. It's unfair. And the people who are going to thrive in that are people who are like boot camp grads and and people who have been looking at, at UX the wrong way or visual designers, but not people who have been paid to be anal. And when I say anal, I mean analytical. We are, if you have a lot of experience in UX, you are extremely detail-oriented. If you've been working in agile environments for any length of time, it does not take much for you to start iterating on something. After you start working on it, you'll start iterating right away because you're used to doing a lot of iteration. So when you come into a, a situation with a design exercise and you've got people looking at you, if they're not skilled, because frankly, a lot of people are not good at evaluating other people's talent. And a lot of people are biased. And quite frankly, a lot of people are narcissistic. And so when you don't do it exactly the way they would do it, yeah, throw the micromanagers in there too. When you don't do things exactly the same way they do it, instead of respecting the fact that somebody is coming from possibly a different angle than you, and that there are a thousand different ways to design something, is that person really going to be judged properly? Is it really going to be fair from scenario to scenario to scenario to scenario? I say not. I say not. And, and I, I know people who really are adamantly against design exercises, and I see where they're coming from with it. I am a former hiring manager. When I wasn't a hire, hiring manager, I was involved in the hiring process to the nth degree, and we never, I have never in my career, put anybody through a design exercise. And if someone had, had told me that we're gonna put somebody through a design exercise, I would try to, to, to convince them to not do it because it's not ethical. There is no way that you're going to judge everybody equally in that process. And when the people who are doing the evaluation don't excel at evaluation, it's really gonna be a big mess. So design exercises don't work. And then when you have people being subjected to overly rigid perspectives, such as what I mentioned earlier, if you're gonna force people to use Envision, is that really fair? If you're gonna force people to use Figma, is that really fair? What, what, are, what are they gaining in using Figma that they wouldn't have gained if they were using Adobe XD? And what are they gaining if they use Adobe XD in comparison to somebody who's gonna use UXPen. They're all doing pretty much the same thing, so it doesn't really matter. And, and if somebody is skilled at one, it doesn't take much to pick up another. So if someone is overly rigid when it comes to what they're looking at, that's a sign that you really don't wanna work there. There's a problem. If you think that they're treating you funny when it comes to the interviewing process, what do you think is going to happen when they think they own you? Which a lot of companies like that have a tendency to do. Ooh. Ooh, my goodness. We don't want to be there, right? Using my special effects now. So we don't, you don't want to be in that situation. And, and so it's really, really sad, but it's really, really common 
uh, that that people are the portfolio thing is 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 out of control. The design exercise requirements are out of control. Subjecting people to overly rigid perspectives, expecting too much in a short period of time, knowing that the person would never be subjected to that again, and it's a terrible evaluator of where that person really stands. A lot of people, by the way, they subject you to design exercises and, and other things like that because they don't know how to evaluate and they're covering their own tracks. I love evaluating people. If you can't evaluate people, you're not going to be able to mentor them. So when you see signs like that, uh, yeah, I know you might be looking for something and yeah, it might be getting tight, but be careful satisficing. Be careful settling for something because you'll only regret it later. All of these things, all of them, contribute to misinformation. They cause people to shift their focus. They cause people to think that something is applicable or relevant when it is not. And when people can't get interviews, when they don't get hired, they assume that something is wrong with them and then you start to fix things that are not broken and that is a problem, folks. You actually start to, whether it was intentional or no, the fact of the matter is we think something need to be tweaked and we start fixing it, especially with portfolios. You fix something that one person said you should do and then the next thing you know, the next person says something different. And before you know it, you got a full-blown Frankenstein on your hands. Because now you have input from 10 people and, and eight of them had no idea what they were talking about. And none of them realized that that's not how portfolios work. And you have to do, because it's a necessary evil today. I get it. It's a necessary evil. But there's a way to do them and you need to do it and stick with it and make sure that it represents who you are and talk about what you're doing in the design process. But don't let that misinformation that is basically camouflaged in the job seeking process, don't let that affect you and then tear down what you've been trying to build. This is, again, the whole job search process, what companies are doing, companies with little to no UX maturity level, people who don't understand what UX is, all of these things are creating problems and we need to really get educated about what we need to do, stand our ground. I wish more people would say, I'm not doing that, that design exercise. What would they do then? They don't know what to do because they're going to find somebody that's going to want to do it. But uh, I know people who they will say, no, I decline. I will not do it. Yes, there are people that will not do design exercises. If that ever happens to me again, uh, in my in my professional uh, uh, life, I will probably start to go that route and and opt for some type of a conversation instead because it's not it did not really represent who I was and it wasn't because of something I didn't know. Uh, it's because it simply is an unrealistic situation. And you're, how are you going to evaluate somebody if the scenario is unrealistic? You can't, folks. <laughs> you simply can't and if somebody tells you that you can remember this that is misinformation <laughs> having a little extra fun tonight folks <laughs> that's all the time that we have we're going to sign out here so thanks again for joining me on tonight uh but until next week when we celebrate one year uh this is darren hood the host of the world of ux signing off Happy UXing, everybody. 
Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.